Amen. I appreciate that. It was a beautiful song. Never heard that before. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter number 3 this morning, if you would. Acts chapter number 3. I'm actually going to start reading at the end of chapter 2 again. This is where we kind of left off last week. And then we'll uh, continue in uh, chapter 3 this morning. Let me ask you a question as we start today. How many have ever experienced a power outage or a power shortage? Anybody ever experienced a power shortage? Um, (laughs) I I think most of us have. Um, (laughs) It's kind of a weird question, but... What is, the, what is the negative, what is the bad about a power shortage? Anybody? What is the bad about a power shortage? Stephanie? Can't see. Okay. Yes. Susan? It's hot. Yes. Brendan? No air conditioning. David? No water. Anybody else? What are the bad? Ian? No TV. <laughs> Billy? Food in the refrigerator spoiled. Michael? No Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi. That's a, that's a tough one for him. Uh, what about, is there any good that comes out of a power shortage? Any, any good? Anything? Is there? Billy? Get to, unplug and spend Get to unplug and spend time with each other. Anybody else? Is there any good that comes out of a power shortage? Uh, Brendan? Save electricity. Save electricity. That is true. Brother Alan? Meet your neighbors. Meet your neighbors? Yes, you can. Especially if they have power and you don't. <laughs> Stephanie? Yeah, it makes you appreciate the power more. Uh, One of the reasons I ask that is because there is no power shortage when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, One thing I've realized as I've studied the book of Acts is that, as we've talked about this series, Come Alive, the Empowering of the Church. What we're trying to discover is that the Holy Spirit has came. Uh, He came there at Pentecost and empowered the church, empowered the individuals within that church, and amazing things have happened. And I I want to remind us all that the same spirit that was at work in Peter's life, in John's life, in the apostles' life, is at work in our life today, but we have to allow him to work. And we have the same power. There is no power shortage when it comes to God, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that things that took place back in the New Testament, back in the book of Acts, where, and what what I mean by this is, the countless people were being saved. If you look, you don't have to stand, but if you look at the end of chapter number two, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse number 42 again. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them all men and as every man had needed. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all men and the Lord added to the church. What's that next word? Daily, such as should be saved. And one thing I think I've discovered, and even this morning as I was just kind of reviewing and just thinking and meditating and praying about the message this morning, you know, in in this early first century, people being saved was a normative thing. What I mean by that, it it was normal. It was a daily occurrence. It was nothing to see someone saved, hundreds saved, thousands saved, as we'll look at actually next week where we see another 5,000 plus individuals got saved. But today, I fear that it's not a normative thing, is it? For many of us. 
It's not a normal occurrence, seeing people saved. But let me ask this question. Should it be a normal occurrence? Yes, yes it should. So again, that's where we have to look introspectively, and that's where we have to look inward. What are we doing, right or wrong? Are we truly allowing the Holy Spirit to work and move in our lives to the fact that we are allowing Him to guide us, to move us, to direct us, to do what He would have us to do? And again, we're going to get there next week in chapter 3. We're going to see another amazing event. 5,000, Bible says 5,000 men were saved, but that doesn't include women and children. It could have easily had 20,000 people saved. I mean, imagine that. 20,000 people saved in one day. It's just, it's, it's astounding. And it's very easy to think, well, that, that stuff doesn't happen today. Well, it doesn't because I believe we have put a power shortage on the Holy Spirit. We have not allow the Holy Spirit to truly work in our lives and move us forward. This church that I see time and time again, and it it excites me as I'm studying this, but man, they have truly come alive. From 120 ragtag disciples that in that upper room received the Holy Spirit, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it, it it just took them away. Now go ahead and stand if you would. We're going to read a couple verses of chapter 3 this morning as we continue the narrative in the book of Acts. And remember again, what just took place was the the day at Pentecost where 3,000 souls were saved. And the narrative continues. Now Peter and John, two of these apostles, went up together. Now I just want to stop there for just a second. Now one thing I see time and time again as I study this early church in the book of Acts is that there was a unity. There was a togetherness. Um, it, it could be said that they, they were truly all in. You know, I don't, I don't think many of us have probably ever experienced a church where all of the individuals were truly all in. You know, it's been said that in business and even in the church that oftentimes 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% to the work. But this early church, especially early on, it wasn't just 20, 30%. You know what it was? It was 100%. 100% giving 100%. 100% doing 100%. That's what it means to be all in. So I'll probably get this later in the message this morning. But it, and I think I've asked this before, but if every church member was like you, what would the church look like? It's kind of a scary question. I mean, it's a scary question for myself too even as the pastor, because honestly, there are times in my life where I haven't truly been all in. I, I've, I've allowed my flesh, I've allowed myself to get in the way, to do things that I want to do. But imagine, imagine what would happen here at Eagle Drive if we had a 100% unity, 100% togetherness, 100% all in. Do you think Decatur, Wise County could truly be turned upside down? You think Texas could be turned upside down? The world could be turned upside down? I do. I believe it. So what is stopping us? Well, we don't have the same things that they had back then. We do. We have that same power within us. There is no power shortage. Uh, let me find my place. I went to John. Uh, let's continue reading. Uh, so again, verse number one, now Peter and John went up together. They're together. There's unity. Into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. 
who's seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple ask at alms. So he's asking for money. He's begging. He's doing this daily. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, he's actually looking at him. He's gazing upon him. With John said, look on us. So he's telling the guy, hey, don't just, you know, blow over us. Hey, look at us. Look at us when we're talking to you. You're talking to us. Verse 5. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. So as this guy is begging for alms, Peter and John walk by. They're going up to pray. And this guy, uh, he's, you know, he's asking for money. Uh, Peter and John said, hey, look at us. He looks at them. He's expecting to get something great. Verse number six. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. It's a great line for many preacher. I have no money. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This is the first really true miracle outside of the souls being saved post-Jesus, post-Pentecost. And he took him up by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately, amazing thing happened. His feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up. Now he did it backwards. You're supposed to start to crawl, then walk, then leap. He just started leaping anyway. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we study your word. And Lord, Lord, you, you know my heart. You know my desire. You know my prayers. I, I pray that our church would truly come alive through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I believe that it's something that can happen. I, and I know many pastors around this nation and around this world believe the same thing as they've studied your word. They believe it can happen, but Lord, the frustrating thing is for any minister of God, for any servant of God, is to try to get the people to get to that all-in stage, to where church isn't just an event, as we've talked about before. But this daily adding of souls is a normative process. It's a normative thing because we are living the Christian life. We are doing what you've called us to do. God, I pray that you'd help us to get back to those principles of the book of Acts. There are certain things that we cannot get back to, but there are things that we should get back to. And I pray that you'd help us this morning. And God, I pray that you'd be with the message this morning. Help us to learn what we need to learn, to receive it, and more importantly, to apply it to our hearts and lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I'm going to jump right into the, the lesson this morning. There's really a lot I want to give by way of application here a little bit later. But in verse number one, we see now Peter and John again, they're going up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. I want you to note that the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. And the first thing, if you have notes and you want to take notes, and we have here on the screen for you this morning is this. First thing I see is this, the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. This is something I've seen again as I've studied this early church, and uh, I've talked about it much with our church, that I, I desire that prayer be a priority, not just before meals, not just when we're in a crisis. Uh, there are many of us that are good at crisis prayers. You know what I mean? Uh, what I mean by crisis prayers is when something is going wrong in our lives, who do we turn to? We turn to God, right? Immediately, right away, God, take care of this situation. God, I'm sick. I need to be healed. Many of us are good at that, right? I just lost my job. God, give me another job. We are great at crisis prayers. But it's not about being good at crisis prayers. The prayer in our life, the prayer to God, should be a consistent thing, a continual thing. 
In verse 42 of chapter 2, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Prayer was a priority for this early church. And there's many questions that I'll ask today that are kind of challenging, but is prayer a priority in your life this morning? I think there were several that started a little prayer group this morning, and I'm thankful for that. I think that's awesome. And as I heard them praying, I was actually praying, God, I pray that this continues, that this would just take off. But they were continually, faithfully devoting themselves to prayer. And as Peter and John are going about their day, going to pray in the temple, they're about to witness this amazing, we're about to witness this amazing miracle. But these early believers didn't just pray when things were wrong. I want you to understand that. There's a lot of times in our lives when things are wrong and we pray out to God, in some way God fixes them, and then we stop praying. Look, I've been guilty of that. You know, I need to improve in, in my own personal prayer life. But they prayed corporately. They prayed consistently in this early church. And I think I mentioned this last week, but they had a vibrant prayer life. You know, they, they, they prayed together corporately. They prayed without ceasing, the Bible says. They prayed in the temple and in homes. And as they walked along the road, as they encountered sick and afflicted, when they preached sermons, it was, it was part of their life and And a key truth is this, a healthy church is a praying church. A healthy church is a praying church. And if we truly want to be a healthy church, and that's what I've been trying to help get us to that place in the past four and a half years, to get us to a healthy, thriving, flourishing church, well, one aspect is that we're praying together. We're praying with one another. And many of you have done that, and I appreciate that, and I want to commend you for that and encourage you to continue to do that. But again, Acts chapter 17, verse 6 is our theme verse for the year, these that have turned the world upside down. The reason that the world was turned upside down with the gospel is not because... We'll make do. All right, very good. I don't need to repeat everything. I think most of you heard it. So again, they were praying. They were praying together as a church. But are we praying for opportunities to share our faith, to share the gospel with the lost and dying worlds? The first thing I see quickly is the priority of prayer. As we continue the narrative, the the second thing I see is that there was an encounter the encounter. Verses 2 through 6, as, as Peter and John are going to pray, now there's a good chance they never actually got to pray because as they were going to pray, they encountered an individual. 
Verse 2, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb. So from birth, from the time he was born, he was lame, he was crippled, he couldn't walk. Every day he was carried to the temple, and every day he sat outside of the gate, beautiful, and he asked for alms, he begged for alms. Now, quickly, there are three foundations of the Jewish faith. They include the Torah, the worship, and showing kindness or giving alms to people. And since these activities were part of the rhythm of these religious communities, the beggar chose a visible location to ask of alms of people going up for prayer. As people worship, they will have to see him, and perhaps they will feel more compelled to give him since they are en route to offer prayer and praise to God. So in a sense, it would be like, a beggar literally sitting outside of the church as we come in to worship God. And I've seen even videos of churches that have done this where I think the pastor dressed up like a homeless man and a beggar, and many people just passed on by. But then there were some that actually tried to do something, tried to encourage that individual. So every day this man is sitting outside of this prominent gate, this gate beautiful, outside of the temple, and he's asking for money. He's begging for money. I'm sure he had realized in his, in his heart that there's no way he's going to get better. Remember, they're in the first century, and uh, the medicine that they had was um, very elementary in some ways, and they didn't have the advancement of technology that we have today. And, you know, there's, he, 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 I'm sure in his mind, he, he thought, there's no way I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be crippled the rest of my life, so this is my lot. And what I need, I need money. That's what's going to help me. That's what's going to encourage me. That's what's going to give me what I need to, to make it through this life. Now, this man isn't just broke. We need to understand that. He is broken. He is physically crippled. And he's been this way for decades. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, we find out that he is over 40 years old. I mean, the guy is old. How many are over 40? I mean, just old. I'm under 40. That's why I can say that. He is old, old, over the hill, decrepit. You know, it's, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> some of you have already turned me out. Um, I think I've shared this before, but I remember uh, when I was like 12 years old that my, uh, in Indiana, the church had a, uh, a big party for my dad when he turned 40 and everyone was wearing black and they had caskets and, you know, graves and stuff like that. And it was, it was just funny. It was, I, I never forget that. There's not much of my childhood I remember, but I remember that. Uh, it was just, it, it sparked something in my life. But anyway, uh, I thought that was funny. You know, he's over 40 years old, but anyway, this is his life for decades, decades, decades. He has been living like this. We continue on. Uh, verse three, he sees Peter and John and he asks them as they're about to go into the temple, hey, I need some money, please give me something. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him. So like all these people in the front row, I'm gonna fasten my eyes on you. That's why you guys are in the front row. Cadence is really excited. Casey, you're good? Yeah, Ryan? Okay, so he's fastening, or Peter and John, they're fastening their eyes on him. They're looking intently. You're getting nervous, aren't you? <laughs> Aaron's getting really nervous. Anybody else want to sit in the front? We've got a couple of people or a couple of rows over here. Amanda's in the front. I know, but I know you're not afraid of me. Never mind. That's whatever. They're fastening their eyes upon him, so they're gazing intently because Peter and John want this individual to look at them. In verse number four, and, P and, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, with John said, hey, look on us. Look at me. In verse five, and he gave heed unto them. So he listened to them, expecting to receive something. So and again, in his mind, in his heart, he's thinking, okay, great. I'm going to get something amazing. They're asking, hey, look at me. I'm about to get a lot of money. This is great. But then verse number six, hey, we don't have any money. <laughs> 
Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. So I'm going to give you something better is what Peter is saying. Now the lame man asked for what he wanted. Listen to this. The lame man asked for what he wanted. He thought he wanted something. He thought he, 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 thought he needed the money. He asked for what he wanted, but he was about to get what he needed. There's a difference there. The lame man asked for what he wanted. What did he want? Silver and gold. I need money. That's going to help my condition. But he's about to get what he needed. Look, we all have wants. We all have things that we desire, but our desires so often are selfish. And really, our desires are small. They're petty. They pale in comparison to what God wants to show us and do for us. Listen, it's so easy to settle for our wants. I think there's so many times in my life where I've had wants, and, and I thought, if I just get this thing that I want, things will be so much better. But how many have been like me, and you've gotten what you wanted to find out it's not what you really needed, right? All those Amazon boxes, I didn't really need those things. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know why you guys always look that way, but... <laughs> I can't even go on. Let's just go ahead and pray and we'll be done today. Uh, <laughs> we've all been there. We're, we thought we needed something. We wanted it desperately. It came in. We got it. Man, that's not what I needed. I needed something else. And then we go on Amazon. We go on all these other sites and we get something else. Else, not else. But we've all been there. And that's where this man is today. We move on, verses 7 through 10. We see the miracle. The Bible says in verse number 7, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Back to verse number 6, he told him to, Hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm doing this miracle in Jesus' name. I want you to get up and walk. And he picks him up by his hand. And, and immediately, that's the amazing thing, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and, and they knew that it was he that sat for alms. They knew that this wasn't a parlor trick. This guy, for decades, for the past four decades, has been crippled, hasn't been able to walk. These people knew this man. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms, verse number 10, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them at the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. They're just in amazement at this miracle that just took place. Now, the power to heal this lame man was not because of Peter's power. I want you to understand that. And that's not the message this morning. But Peter didn't have the ability himself to heal this individual just because he was a preacher, just because he was an apostle. There are some religious groups that might say that, well, because I'm a minister of God, I can heal you. I have no power to heal you. The power comes from Jesus. And in the early first century, especially when Jesus left, he gave supernatural power to his apostles Back in chapter 2, verse 43, it says that many signs and wonders were done. And the reason these signs and wonders, these miracles were done in this early church 
was to promote the gospel, to advance the gospel. We have to understand that. The one that was doing the working, the one that was doing the healing was not Peter. It was not John. It was the Holy Spirit working through Peter. You see, all the glory, no matter what happens in life, belongs to Jesus, right? All the praise belongs to him. And Peter and John help this man up and immediately his feet, his ankles become strong. And imagine this scene. Imagine that. The guy for 40 plus years hasn't been able to walk and all of a sudden he gets up and he's leaping around and he's jumping and man, he's just excited. I mean, who wouldn't be excited to see that and who wouldn't be like, whoa, what just happened? How did that happen? I mean, I'd be amazed and I'd be in wonder and we're going to get more of that next week. You know, one of my commentaries I was reading this week, they, the commentary said, you know, this guy is practicing for dancing with the Davidic stars. Uh, I just thought that was funny. I'm just going to throw that out there. But anyway, this man thought he needed physical help, but what he needed was a spiritual help. This man was healed physically, but that's not the extent of his healing. He was also healed spiritually that day. He gave his heart, his life to Jesus Christ. He started praising Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find out next week as we continue the narrative is that thousands upon thousands were saved. The Bible says 5,000 more, just men at least, plus probably women and children, 5,000 more were saved. Imagine that scene. All because of this man that was healed. He didn't just start, you know, hey, I got a prayer cloth I want to sell you. He started preaching the gospel to these people. He started sharing who Jesus is and what he did in his life. I like how Warren Wearsby puts it. He says, the man was healed wholly by the grace of God and the healing was immediate. It's like Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But he gave evidence of what God had done by walking, by leaping, by praising God, and publicly identifying himself with the apostles, both in the temple and in their arrest later in chapter 4. And now that he could stand, there was no question where this man stood. It's not that he got saved, he got healed, and I'm going to go live my life however I want to live. He got saved, he got healed, and he was serving God. And that's important too. Now stay with me here. It's, it's all going to start really flowing here in just a minute. But there are many people that I have led to the Lord or seen led to Christ that have gotten saved. And for a moment, you know, they get excited, but then they go back to their life. That's not what happened here. His life was forever changed. His life was transformed he wasn't the same. You see, the people took note of this miracle. They were filled with awe, with astonishment at what happened. And I hope you guys are ready for this. It's such an amazing chapter. It's, it's been so amazing so far. And what we're seeing is the early church coming alive through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And there's more on this story. And I encourage you to be back next week. But listen, when God does something amazing in an individual's life, listen to me. He usually has a greater purpose in mind than that of the individual's benefit. Let me say that again. It's not in your notes, but I want you to understand this. When God does something amazing in an individual's life, he usually has a greater purpose in mind than that individual's benefit. So the healing wasn't just for this man so he can start walking and running and doing marathons. That's not the benefit. 
the benefit was that hundreds and thousands would come to Christ because of this one individual. You see, God wants to do something even more amazing through an individual. The Holy Spirit worked in this man's life. His transformation ultimately led to the salvation of many souls, Acts 4.4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed in the number was about 5,000. The early church has come alive. Now listen to this principle. This is very, very important this morning. Peter and John are going down to, to pray. They're going to the temple to pray. And again, what just took place in their life, what just happened that Peter and John witnessed back in chapter two? Anybody remember? I've already alluded to it. Anybody? Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? Anybody? What? Filled with the Holy Spirit? What else? Souls were out of the church? Yes. Thousands were saved. The Bible says 3,000. Now, it's very easy to think about that man. Wow. I, I, I mean, I can't even imagine in my own life if, if I were to preach a message and like, like 10 people were to get saved. But thousands were saved because Peter preached this message. And I'm sure it'd be easy to think, man, I'm pretty important. I'm something special. Look at me. I preached and 3,000 got saved. They were added to the church. And it would be very easy, don't you think, to just forget about a couple individuals here and there? Don't you think? Because, hey, I got more important things to deal with. I got to go lead another revival and have thousands more saved. Now get this down. What we're seeing here in chapter 3 is a new principle developed for us. Those who reach the many also care about reaching the one. Let me say that again. Those who reach the many also care about reaching the one. You know, as I was reading this this week, it just, it jumped out to me. I think it was Thursday or Friday, one of those days. It just jumped out to me, the narrative. That Peter and John could have easily seen this guy and like, man, I ain't got time for you. You're just a lame man. You're crippled. Look, I, I got more important things to do. I, I got to reach many more people with the gospel. You're, you're no one. And I think sometimes we can have a wrong mindset. Stay with me here. Sometimes it's how many can we reach? How many can the church have? Look, I encourage you to reach as many as you can, as many as God enables. But sometimes in our press to advance the gospel, and advance God's kingdom, and grow his church, we cannot get sidetracked with the many that we lose sight of the few. We cannot get sidetracked with the many that we lose sight of the few. It's very easy to focus on the many. I got to get more people to come to church. I got to get more people saved. And then we lose sight of the few. We lose sight of the individual. But listen, the mission of the church is not necessarily about reaching the masses. Now, that is part of it. But the mission of the church also consists to reach individuals. If you're here today, you are an individual, right? You are a soul by yourself. You might have a family with you. And if you have been saved, you have been saved yourself. And this, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. 
And the point I'm trying to make in this message, in this application this morning, we've seen some amazing things happen. And we're going to, again, continue the narrative. And I can't wait for that next week. And as we continue this story in chapter 3 and into chapter 4 and some of the events that take place. But I want to ask a question. And I've got several things that I really want to challenge you with as I come to a close here this morning. And my first question is this. Who's your one? Who's your one? Again, Peter and John had just seen thousands saved, just witnessed amazing work of the Holy Spirit moving, and man, thousands saved. But they realized that, you know what? There are still individuals that need the gospel. There are still individuals that need to be saved. Who's your one? Let's leave that up there for a minute. Imagine if every believer, every believer, every child of God, were truly sold out to Jesus. Imagine that. Now, I think sometimes we think, you know, it's the work of evangelism for the pastor, for the staff. You know, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's, I just don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what I should do. But imagine if every believer could say, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself to just try to reach one person with the gospel. Now, don't raise your hand. But if you're saved today, when's the last time you ever led someone to Christ? Well, I, it, I just don't have opportunities. Do you breathe? Are you living? Then you have an opportunity. You know, we have... It's about what's important to us. You know, for some of us, what's important to us is our job. And we're going to do whatever we can to advance our job. Some people, and myself sometimes, it's, it's about vacation. I can't wait for vacation. It's about golf sometimes. But, you know, the thing is, we, we have a lot of opportunities. But are we using those opportunities to share the gospel with people? The Bible tells us in chapter 2 that daily people were added to the church. Daily people were being saved. It was a normative thing. It was a normal thing. But pastor, I'm just a teen. I'm, I'm old. I, I, I just, it's not part of my life. Well, why not? Why isn't it part of your life? Who's your one? And I, I keep asking this, and I'm going to continue it, but what I want to challenge you to do for just the next month, the next 30 plus days, is to try to focus on one individual. One individual that you know, or maybe you don't even know right now, that needs the gospel that needs Jesus Christ. How many right now could think of someone right now that they know or know of that needs Jesus Christ, that needs the gospel? I think many of us. And what I'm going to challenge you to do over the next month is to pray for that individual. To pray that God gives you an opportunity to witness to that individual. 
And here's the thing. If you actually pray that prayer, God is going to give you an opportunity. So you have to be ready for it. But who's your one? Look, God's people don't need another method for evangelism. So imagine if every believer could say, you know what, pastor, I know a person, or if I don't know a person, I'm going to find a person, and I'm going to share the good news of the gospel with them. I like what J.D. Greer said. He said, we need a white-hot passion to see people who are far from God experience the new life he offers through Jesus Christ. We need a white-hot passion to see people who are far off from God experience new life that he offers through Jesus Christ. You know, with all the craziness going on in our world, you know what's not going to fix things? Throwing money at people. Throwing money at organizations. I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe and give to the church. But what's not going to fix things is here. I threw money at this group, at this individuals. I, I gave my alms. That's not going to fix the world that we live in. You know, the only thing that's going to fix the world that we live in is the gospel, is the hope of Jesus Christ. And it's up to us, his church, to understand that we have been commissioned. Remember that series? It was like the last series I did when we were outside. We have been commissioned. Before Jesus left, he gave us a commission. And what was the commission? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And if you have been saved, if you have been a Christian, if if you are a Christian, you have been commissioned, you have a job to do. And it's time that believers started living out their commission on purpose. Listen, we must intentionally pursue one person with the hope of the gospel. You know, at times it seems like the mission is too complex and too vast for churches like ours and people like us. Well, we can't do anything. We can do something. Same power that was given at Pentecost through the Holy Spirit is the same power we have access today. And I want you to listen to this. The needy in our community will not be impacted by the church. They're going to be impacted by you. individually, where you are. You see, it's easy to think, well, God's doing a lot at the church and I'm part of it. And every week I get to sit and be a part of it. Look, the church service is not necessarily where God does most of his ministry. God does most of his ministry through you in the streets, in your job, in the businesses that you work. So here's the question. Who can you point to that you are ministering to personally? Is there someone right now in your life that you are personally ministering to, personally sharing the gospel with, personally trying to disciple? If our church will grow, it will grow because of you. But if our church ceases to grow, it will cease to grow because of you and me. Not collectively doing our job. Look, stay with me. I'm almost done. But it's easy to think, you know, the church needs a plan. We have to have a plan for outreach and to make an impact. But I want you to understand something. The church has a plan. 
It's you. We don't need another canvassing and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying we can't do those things, and we have and we will. But the plan of the church is you. Getting a fire for the things of God. Getting a white-hot passion to see people reached with the gospel. In his book, The Master of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christians do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan of discipleship, listen, is not something but someone. And what stands out most to me in chapter 3 is how Peter and John focused on that one who became instrumental for thousands being saved. You're God's method. You're God's plan for reaching the masses. And I know this, seem, this can seem intimidating. It can seem very daunting. But if you're a Christian, you already have everything you need inside of you. You don't need anything else because you have the Holy Spirit. Disciple making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I want, what I'm going to challenge you for the next month is to identify your one. Ask God to help you identify one person. Maybe you want to do two or three, whatever. But identify one person. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want you to ask God, God, give me one person that I can lead to Jesus this year. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to challenge you again, as I've done many times before, to pray this prayer, to ask God to truly help you, to challenge you, to give you an individual, whether someone you know or someone you don't know. And some will come, and some will pray, and some will pray in their seats, and some will say, forget that. I'm not going to do that. I'm too scared. But could you imagine what it would look like if everyone of you in this church right now will commit to this and do this? Who's your one? And we're going to start now, and I've actually got on the way out, we've got little prayer cards, and it just says, who's your one? You know, I, I came across this. It's actually an organization through the North American Mission Board, but I came across this last year. A pastor that I was uh, familiar with, I think in the Chicago area, was kind of preaching through a series similar to this, and I was like, man, that's really good. So I found out where he got it from, and I ordered uh, the kit. And I just had it in my office sitting there for about a year. And as I'm reading through the message and reading through the passage, that it just, it just, Lord popped it into my head. He's like, hey, remember that stuff that you ordered like a year ago? He's like, I want you to implement that into the church. I want you to press the church to find one, to find an individual that they can invite to church, that they could lead to Christ. And we're going to have these on your way out. And, you know, on the back of it, it's got 
30 days of prayer, and it's got verses for you to, to read through. And we're actually, by Wednesday, we'll have actually a prayer booklet for you as well. And in that booklet, you can identify that one person as well, and you can pray for them daily. You know, I want to do this, and kind of starting this week, and really Friday, we're going to start on our social media, just posting one of these verses a day, and it's going to all lead up to September 20th. And September 20th, we're going to have what I'm just going to refer to as Back to Church Sunday. You know, the community is opening up again, and the world is opening up, and some people are still afraid to come to church. I understand that. But I'm really going to ask you and encourage you to make a big push. It's not about just trying to get a lot of people to come. It's not about that. But for the next 30 days, I want you to pray and use that prayer, not just to pray for that person, but use that opportunity to actually witness to that person and share your faith with that person. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's 10. Wouldn't it be awesome if by the end of the year, you have personally led one, two, 10 people to the Lord? Wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And I know it can seem daunting, but the church, we don't, we don't need to worry about the church growing by masses. Let's just worry about one, right? Let's worry about the individual. Again, what we need is a white-hot passion to see people who are far from God experience the new life he offers through Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the new life that Jesus Christ has given you if you're saved? I am. And it's time that we as a church, collective group of people, get back to the Bible. Get back to the principles that are really going to help. We don't need more programs. We don't need more ministries. We've got some things we're going to be changing in the next couple of weeks, and we've already talked about that a little bit last Sunday night, but it's not about those things. We've got to start focusing on individuals. We've got to start reaching people with the gospel. Who's your one? Who's the one that you see weekly? that you know probably isn't saved or not in church, not where they need to be, that you could share the gospel with them, you could invite them to church, but yet you've chosen to do nothing. And maybe you've done something. I encourage you to continue to do it. But we have to be persistent. We're persistent in making money for ourselves, aren't we? Because I need money. But what about being persistent in the gospel? persistent in evangelism, persistent in sharing our faith with other people. This is more important, church. This is what it's all about. This is the mark of a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ, going and doing what God has called them to do. Heads bowed and eyes closed. First of all, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that that's something you can take care of right now. Whether in your seat or talking to an individual like myself or someone else, it's realizing first and foremost that you are a sinner, that you are in need of a Savior. It's asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and be your Savior. Salvation really is that simple. It's a gift. It's a free gift. All we have to do is accept it. And if you're not saved, I encourage you today, make that decision. 
today decide to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you are saved, I pray that you would have or develop a passion for the things of God, a passion for evangelism, a passion to see people who need Jesus Christ reached. And it's not going to happen just through me, through my staff, through our trustees, through our deacons. It's going to happen through the individual. With head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, would you, would you stand? If you need to come forward and ask God to help you, I want you to pray, whether it be in your seat there, kneeling down, or come to the altar and say, God, help me. God, give me an individual over this next month that I can pray for that I can encourage, that I can invite, that I can share the gospel with. Would you do that this morning? As Amanda sings a song in a spirit of prayer, let's pray that God would give us one, that God would give us that individual. Every day they pass me by I can see it in their eye. Empty people filled with care. Headed who knows where. On they go through private pain. Living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People Ha, 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 ha. 
song is so true. When will we realize that that's what it's all about? And uh, I encourage you, this isn't just a ploy, it's a challenge. You know, take one of these cards on the way out. On the back, it, it just says, who's your one? And then it, you can write the name down of that individual and you can actually tear it off if you want, put it somewhere. And, and it's got a list of these verses. You can use it in your Bible as a little, uh, little marker. But I encourage you to, to be faithful to this you start it today and start it tomorrow. We're actually going to start it <clears throat> on our social media with, on the platform on Friday. But I encourage you to, man, find your one. Find that individual that needs God and share Jesus Christ with him. Got an announcement? Okay. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. Uh, Friday was Pastor and Amanda's wedding anniversary, so if you could come over here, please. Uh, we do have a little fellowship uh, after, so if you would stay, it would be great. Um, I know some people brought some cards, so there is a table in the middle that has some amazing cake pops. Yeah, go stand by her, um, if you still like her. Um, well, you just have to love her. I guess you don't have to like her. I don't know. Um, I think Christina's not here, so she can't say anything. Um, but there is a, a table in the middle of the, the gym area for cards. Um, so we did want to give this to you from the church. Um, so there are two separate gifts, so don't spend each other's. There's your names on them. So I know not to give Amanda money. So, um, <laughs> Right, Justin? All right. So uh, we do want to thank you for uh, all that you've done for us and just wanted to appreciate you. So there is a fellowship to follow after this. Um, I don't think there's any other actual announcements. So as you said, make sure you get those cards. I think Brother Allen has them. Um, and please do that. I know it's, again, it's, it's difficult sometimes when you don't think you know how to lead something to the Lord. But there's people here that do know. And so if you don't know, ask and we can help you out. So let's go ahead and pray and end our services. We'll bless the food and they'll go on back and make sure you let Pastor Amanda know how much we appreciate them. Dear, thank you for this day. Thank you for the service that we had. Thank you for the spirit that was had in this service. Thank you for the message that you laid on a pastor's heart to give to us. And I pray as we begin this campaign of who's our one, that we would take it seriously and that we wouldn't just take the card because it's handed to us. We would take it because you do want to lay somebody on our heart. Um, that you want us personally to reach. And I'm sure many of us have already had uh, people's faces popping into our minds and names that we know of, of uh, somebody that uh, we're not sure saved or uh, maybe saved just away from God and that you continue to um, help us focus on uh, the passage that we heard read today and that um, as uh, these men brought this crippled man uh, daily to the temple that they were very persistent as pastor was talking about that we would be persistent about our prayers for this individual and I pray as we um, daily look at these verses and pray these verses for this person that again we would um, just ask your Holy Spirit to uh, even now begin working on their heart and to uh, prepare their heart for us to uh, be able to share the gospel with them 
And as this culminates into uh, Back to Church Sunday coming up in September, that we'll be able to see uh, many people here that were uh, a result of our prayers for them, that we'll be able to rejoice with these people and just know um, that you still do answer prayers if uh, we stay close to you and do what you tell us to do. Again, be with uh, this uh, food we're about to partake of. Thank you so much for uh, bringing Pastor and Amanda and their family here uh, to us to this church at this time. Again, just help them to uh, know how.